Hi, it's uh, Tuesday. I just started and then I got interrupted. Um, it's Tuesday, 4th of July over here, and I'm going to do a look at the Parsha. Um, this is being sponsored by our good friends in Israel, Nagush, uh, uh, Deborah and Benjamin Radomsky. This is for Ben's grandmother's yard site, which is 20 Days in Thomas. That's coming up this week. Obviously, a Thursday, she was a Thomas, so three days later, it's Chav Thomas, Shem Shabbat Aliyah. And thank you, and let's, <clears throat> without any further ado, let's plunge into Parshas Pinchas, which I'm sure in the past I always talk about zealotry and all that, probably beating zealotry to death. <laughs> the uh, So I was looking today, I mean, I was doing the Shnai Mikra, and uh, what I do now is, because I'm always thinking of podcasts, if I see some pusig or phrase that catches my interest, I, I highlight it with a yellow highlighter. And, do you notice that's very funny? Moshe Rabbeinu says, you know the story, when he's told he's going to die, so Moshe pick a successor. But what he does, you know, and so forth. And you and I know that it's Joshua. Okay, I mean, the parasha basically, you know. The, the, the funny thing is, what's this Elohei Ruchus Basar? It's a very funny expression. In fact, as far as I'm aware, it's used twice. Um, back in Korach and once here, when God was going to kill everybody for the Adas Korach, Moshe says, "Don't kill them all." Remember that? And here he says, and so forth. Now, it doesn't use that expression throughout the Chumash. Um, I think it's only these two times, and it's not easily translatable. Elohei haruchot l'chol basar. I mean, I know the Hebrew words like you do, Elohei and ruchot and l'chol basar. What does that mean? The God of the ruach of all the flesh, of all the basar, and um, it's not. It's it, uh, again, it's it's not an easy one to translate until you make a certain leap. You know, you say, "Well, just going to go with this translation." But what does it really mean if, if such a thing is possible? It sounds kabbalistic, you know. Um, Rashi, well, it follows the Midrashic interpretation. It's not his own. And in both cases, Ruchos means, uh, you know, uh, what they're thinking. You know what I'm saying? What their mindset. Eli Ruch said, what's your Ruach? It's not Lefi Ruchi. So it's unusual. I mean, you can read it that way, no question about it. Ruach sometimes does mean what's moving someone, as we would say today, a mood, perhaps, something along those lines. So that would fit, um, you know, Elohei Aruchus Achol Basar, that you know what everybody's thinking. And that's why the Medrash, which Rashi copies, says, listen, I want you to pick somebody who'll be my successor. But we all know the first necessity for a successful leader is that people have to accept him as a leader. And in order to do that, he can't be too extreme of this type or the other. He has to be able to be <coughs> accepted by a large population, especially a bunch of Jews. Uh, without that, you got nothing. No matter how talented somebody is, the first rule, you know, the qualification of leadership is people have to agree to follow him. <clears throat> Think about what I'm saying. A person is a leader, and he says, follow me and let's do this. Why should they? Think, for example, in war. An officer says, follow me and attack the enemy. They say, wait, well, Mr. Meshuggah, why should I follow you? You understand? And yet, I'm wrong. Throughout history, there are these guys, heroic, uh, you know, commanders, whatever, and they say, Acharai, and the people go after them. They do. So this, this, it's the uh, 
you know, inexpressible quality of charisma and leadership that will even move people to risk their lives and sometimes even give up their lives. It's a very interesting kind of quality. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, you're the one who created all that. Uh, it just tickled my fancy. Where is it? When I went back to Parshish Korach, uh, where you would find this the first time, and Rashi there says, it's in Korach in 1622, That's the way he translates it. And I'm looking at the Sif Seichachamim, and he says, Lo Elohei Haneshamos, Kavu and Haruchos. It doesn't mean, as one might say, Elohei Haruchos, Chobosar, you're master of all the spirits in the people, the souls, and all that. That's not right. It would be a non sequitur. Or rather, Perusha, the Sif Seichacham says, Hayodea Machshavos, Betuchal Lodas Michote. You know what everybody's thinking. That's the meaning of Ruach. And um, therefore, you can punish the ones who are with Korach, but you can spare the ones who are not with Korach instead of just hitting everybody with a big Megefa. The Targum Yonason over there, see, whenever you have a hard Hebrew expression, the Targumim, the Mepharshim, the Roshonim, the Achronim are all over the place because it's not, you, you can't just say, this is how it goes. You understand? It's, it, it's, more, it's more complex than that. I got a whole balagon going up here in my house. Um, if you take a look at the time Yonason over there, for example, it says, nasha. You, the God who puts the Ruch Neshama in everybody's goof. So he's arguing with the Sisechachamim, or let's put, I mean, you know what I mean? The Sisechachamim doesn't agree with what the Targum Yonason says. I'm talking about the Targum Yonason on the Chomish, the pseudo Jonathan. So it's a very interesting expression. Again, the God puts the Ruch in the Neshama, inside the Guf, and then it, uh, it, it, the Ruch then spreads throughout the Basar, which sounds like you have a spark of Neshama put somewhere in the body, and then it diffuses all throughout the physical body. And the other one, the Targum Shalmi on the side, says, Hello, the Shalit Benishmas Kolbisro. The God who rules the Neshamas of all Basar. It's, you know, it, 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 all these things are, 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 are not great translations, let's put it that way. It doesn't really handle it over. And over here, you know, in our Parsha, Moshe, uh, let's put it this way, the Medrash, which Rashi copies, you know, kind of it makes sense in the sense it's a rational explanation. It doesn't exactly work. And you know it, and I know it, since we're kids, and you learn it with Rashi, where he says, listen, you need somebody that everybody will listen to, as I said before. Because no point getting a, a very talented leader that no one will follow. Right? <laughs> Moshe can say, take it from me, you know? There's no point, you know, uh, getting him to the Red Sea. If no one will follow, then you can split the Red Sea behind Biz Morgan. It's not going to help. Remember that famous um, Chazal that's um, in the Elvis of Nosan? It's in the Rashi, as they call it on Perkyovas, that Moshe splits the Red Sea and the Jews say, we're not, we're not crossing because it's not soft enough. And he has to hit it again. We're not crossing because it's not hard enough. And he has to hit the Red Sea again. We're not crossing this time because, you know, it's too much of this. And the next time, it's not enough of that. And he ends up hitting the Red Sea about 10, 20 times until they finally agree to cross. So, I mean, what is that matter saying? 
you can do the biggest miracle in the world. It doesn't mean anything if you can't get the people to follow you. So <clears throat> the armies and similar things break down when the soldiers simply refuse to follow the officers. You know, this has happened in history, like the Russian Revolution and all that. The soldiers simply said, we're not going to do it. What are you going to do? You can't kill them all. You get it? Then so you're out of a job. If the whole class says, we're not listening to the teacher, or the whole high school, I'm just making this up, say, we're not listening to the principals. If they all do it, what are you going to do to them? Right? What are you going to do? Um, so, Elohim, Ruchas, Cholbasar, pick somebody that everybody will be willing to follow. You know, whoever it's going to be, it has to be someone that the uh, the hotheads will follow, but also the, uh, you know, the other ones, and so on and so forth. Okay, fine. Now, um, here's the interesting point, because of course, as you know, they pick Yeshua, and uh, is Yeshua, hey, Ruchas, Cholbasar, is he he does he appeal to everybody? Well, he he led the Jews for seven years, or maybe more even, in the wars of the conquest of Canaan. He didn't get them to do what they needed to do, which is finish off the enemy. We've talked about that many times. This is a great problem of, of Yeshua. But he got him at least a point X. Nobody else could do that. Consider what I'm about to tell you now. Suppose I said the Jewish people today, today in 2023, as variegated as they are have all said they're going to follow a leader, provided it's the right leader. Right? The whole Jewish people. Who could possibly appeal to everybody? I mean, you couldn't appeal, one guy to appeal to all the different Hasidim alone. Right? Between Satmar, Lababish, and you know, they wouldn't agree. And you couldn't get, you know, all the, the Ashkenazim to agree. Kal Muhammad to reform the conservative, the secular, the communist, this, that, and the other. How are you going to get them to agree? It's, it's, it's very difficult. You see? It's very difficult. And that's why Moshe says you have to give some divine, you know, oomph to this. You know, if it's a miracle, let's put it that way, then, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be able to follow. Now, what's interesting to me and to others is that Moshe, as we all know, Rashi says this. Again, it's not Rashi, it's a Medrash. You know, Rashi is copying out of the Medrash. That Moshe was hoping that his son would get the job. Uh, and instead they said, no, Yeshua earned it, notes there, Te'ena, Yochel, period, something like that. Uh, which is very interesting because, um, let's put it this way, you know and I know, Moshe never wanted the job. And many times he wanted to quit, and God said, I won't let you quit. That's a basic part of the story of Moshe Rabbeinu. And in, at some points he even said, kill me, I can't take it anymore. On the other hand, he stuck it out. Why did he stick it out? So you can simply say like this. The Rebbe Shalom tells you to do it, so you do it. Well, I don't know. Like I say, the Torah, at least the way the Chazal portrayed, Moshe was a human being. He he could only handle so much of this. You know, the Jews can drive, can drive you nuts. I mean, literally, the Jews can drive you nuts. You see from over here, in the back of his mind, Moshe was hoping, at least maybe he can build a dynasty. You know, it's interesting. I don't mean that in a bad way, but consider the following. A guy works, and, and Shlomo writes about this Kohelis. A guy works real hard. He makes a successful business. You know, he hopes in the back of his mind, sometimes in the front of his mind, to leave it to the kids after him and things like that, to have some permanence to what he did. That's a natural human, you know, a characteristic. Where everyone's like that to some degree. You don't say you build up a whole business, and the minute you kick the bucket... The business will fall apart, which happens a belt of times, as you know. I've said it before. I knew when I was growing up, a lot of people 
the older generation, and they came from Europe and stuff like that here in Baltimore. And as the expression goes, the only English they knew was to sign a check. But they ran successful business, and they were prosperous, and they made it work, and they dealt in the Galicia business world, and they made contracts, and some of them supplied the army. I remember, you know, they were successful, and when they died, these guys with the broken English, and you know, the the they talk funny and look funny. When they died, they left it to their kids who were American, and they sent them all to business school, to Wharton, to this place. I'm serious. To this place at Hopkins, and the kids ran it into the ground <laughs> in less than six months. You know, within a short time, the whole business went bankrupt. You understand? Uh, I knew. I don't want to say. I don't want to be more specific because there may be people possibly listening to this who are descendants from some of those people. Maybe they don't know about it. I'm not going to, you know, rake over the coals as they say. But it happened over and over again. A person. So in other words. As Shlomo says, you work, you work, you work, and then it falls apart. And then it falls apart. So sometimes a, a person is spared this knowledge by death. They, you know, um, they, what do you call it? They, they uh, work real hard, and they hope they'll leave it to the next one, and they don't know that after they're gone, they'll fall apart. But what if a person knew L'Chadchila? That they're that is going to fall apart. Um, I knew a famous, uh, for example, uh, a business guy who was Catholic, and then his, he had one son, and the son became a priest. So he wasn't going to come and uh, a famous name. He wasn't going to be in the business, and so the whole thing was going to be handed over to others. Um, it it yeah, made him depressed. You understand? So Moshe Rabbeinu was told by Yitzhavim Ben Israel, "I command you take charge of Ben Israel, even though it's going to be a lot of junk." You know, Rashi says, in Vaira, they'll stone you, they'll cuss you out. Every time you do them a favor, they'll say you did the opposite. We know what Jews are. Um, but, on the other hand, on the other hand, uh, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll have something. So the people who found dynasties, okay, they figure they'll have the legacy behind them Maybe even the fame, I don't know. The legacy behind them that all the junk that they put up with was so that the next generation wouldn't have to do it. Right? I suffered, but my kids won't have to suffer. I went without, but the next generations afterwards won't. And the idea, if you want to scratch it down, like on a Vardaker is, they'll always be grateful for me if they if they if they're not jerks, because of the sacrifices that I underwent so that things would be better for them. So the person who founds a country or something like that may suffer a whole lot, but the, he left something behind. And therefore, they'll look back and say, oh, look at all the suffering did on our behalf. Today's the 4th of July. You know, you know, George Washington or somebody like that. They, they, they made a lot of sacrifices. They did. But, you know, look what they have to show for it. And therefore, they'll be famous. People make statues for them. And it's a natural human trait. There's nothing wrong with it that a person wants to be remembered well. Here comes Moshe Rabbeinu, and obviously you see over here that he had in mind, Rashim says the words, I mean, you know, doesn't say it black and white, but just about black and white, right? Just about black and white. Um, where's the Rashi over here? One second. You know it. Um, 
One second, sixteen. It says, "Kevin to Shama Moshe Shama Tain Nachal Sofka Benosov." When Moshe heard about the Benos Sofka verdict, Amar Higia Shoshet Vatzrachai. Now the moment has come for me to make my own claims. Okay, make my own claims. Sheyishu Bonis Kedulasi. I want my kids to take over my Gedula. And that means that Moshe, that's a, a pregnant phrase. I'll say it again. Uh, the time has come for me to put in my own claims. So in other words, Moshe had in his back pocket the whole time. And he was waiting for the right moment. Isn't that amazing? So all the way back from the burning bush. And when they split the Red Sea, and we went through all the junk, you know, with the people complaining along the way, and now 40 years of stuff, because this is already, you know, 40 in the 40th year. Uh, Moshe had, in the back of his mind, maybe the, the right moment will come to strike, and I'll be able to put in a word with God, and we'll get it done, that he'll give the okay that my kids should take my place. Right? I mean, it's interesting. Now, again, that's human. It's not bad. It's not ignoble. It doesn't make Moshe a bad person or anything like this. Uh, it's natural that a person should want the kids to, to get the gadul if possible. Right? Moshe was a from guy, obviously. He knows it's not going to happen if Hashem doesn't say, okay. But he thought, now 40 years are up, no slavchad. Quote unquote, God's in a better mood. However, you know, however you understand that, and you know, uh, uh, now comes the moment to make it, to put in my claim. So all these times he had in the back of his mind, you know, uh, and not even the back of his mind, his own future. That is his legacy. And if God, of course, says like this, you have no legacy, <laughs> right? You have no legacy. Your kids are not going to take over. Right? That's not my intention. What I know what you wanted. And you know, you never brought up Sonny ever brought up, but, but but the answer is no. Right? The answer is no. And uh, you know, in other words, your kids aren't worthy of it. Imagine to hear that. Alright? Imagine to hear that. And this explains in my mind why Moshe's uh in a very bitter mood as a result of this. Disappointed, if if you prefer that word. Right? Disappointed. And that's why the Chazal say that when God says, um, pick uh, the successor, right? Pick the successor. So, um, he says, don't do, to, don't do to him what you did to me. Okay? He doesn't know who it is yet. But, well, I mean, it's hard to tell because... Um, uh, the way the matter is put to this little but the actual naming of Joshua doesn't happen until the next Pasuk uh, but the point is that um, Moshe very bitterly disappointed and you know what I'm trying to point out is like this it's not like you know I'm total his botless you know the way Yeshiva presents it Moshe totally crushed his own personality as an Ebed Hashem, whatever you want, step on me, trample on me, do whatever you want to me, I exist only for your covet, and whatever you do is fine, and I have no claims whatsoever. 
It's not who he was. Right? Moshe was a person, right? He had his ideas of covet, not yours and mine, and not stupid covet. But he wanted his kids to be Urshtigadula. And when Hashem says it's not going to be your kids, so basically Moshe has the following business. I let him out of Egypt, I took him through the desert, I'm gonna die in the desert, and my kids aren't gonna succeed me. So basically the story's gonna kinda of like end with me. Because what happened to Moshe's kids? They garnished. They didn't die out, but you know, they 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 literally faded into obscurity. If you want to get technical, some say they, one of them was the um, Pesel Micho, but I don't want to go into that. Stamazoid, as far as we know, they fade into obscurity, which is kind of interesting because, you know, you think, how can you have a better title than, you know, the, the related to Moshe Rabbeinu? Don't people walk around nowadays say, I all come from David Amel? I never met anybody in my life who had any kind of Yichas claims who didn't come from David Amel, <laughs> right? Somehow or other. Right? Nobody came from, uh, you know, David's secretary. Nobody came from, uh, you know, Yishai's next-door neighbor. Uh, nobody came from uh, the, the, the tribe of Yisachar. It's funny. Everybody comes from David Melch. It's kind of strange. Uh, nobody comes from Moshe. Have you ever met anybody who says, I'm a descendant of Moshe Arino? I mean, I'm a coin. Me, myself, and I, I'm a coin. So I guess that means Aram. I get that. But, and Aram, you know, therefore has this legacy. Moshe had no legacy. It's 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 kind of interesting, you know. Moshe has no legacy. Um, now, I could explain it in a Maimonidean fashion. I'm sure people have. If Moshe would have built a dynasty, they would have said we come from a divine being, since Moshe was up there forty days and forty nights. You know, th- there is that kind of art. My father used to say that, you know, it, um, to show that Moshe was a human being. But it's, it's it's a very harsh treatment. And so, what does he say? Hashem said, "I'm going to pick someone else." Then Moshe says, don't do to him what you did to me. <laughs> right? That's, that's a bitterness. And Rashi says, Right? Don't do to him what you did to me. Because me, you don't let into the country. Now, let's think about this. When is this being stated? When the Jews are on the Avery Yardin, and, uh, you know, Moshe's going to die soon. And it's the 40th year. And the Yarden is, is, is nearby. And Moshe's not going to be the one who's allowed to lead him over that. So he's saying to God, don't let, don't, don't kill the, the successor before he crosses the Jordan the way you did to me. And really, you really think God would pick a successor who's going to be there for five minutes and will die before he even crosses the Jordan? It's it's a emotional. It's a rhetoric. You understand? It's wonderful, by the way, from the you know f- for the student of the of, of Bamidbar. In other words, I love it, but uh, you know it's it, it doesn't conform to you know like some kind of high minded from type of thing. It's it's Moshe Rabbeinu talking. Now again, it's not Rashi. It's a, it's from the Chazal, uh, but they see you know that or whatever. They're Moshe are very bitter over this. Don't do whoever you pick. Don't do him what you did to me. Okay. Now, the expression is "ashe yotziyim, ashe yuviyim." So make sure you yuviyim. There's a uh, time. I just want to share with you one part I liked. Um, he, what does it mean? Ashe yotziyim, ashe ashe yelechavneim, ashe yavlevneim. Isn't that what it says? Ashe uh, yotzi. Moshe says ashe. Pick a leader, I shall yitzel, I shall yovel of name. 
And uh, again, it's a Sifri, but you know, Rashi quotes it. He says, whoever be the leader should not be an armchair general. Right? Let him be like David, like Yoav, like Moshe. I myself went into battle at Sichon and Og. And in the in, in the Sifra it says, it says Yoav, you know, knows lead from the front. Now, what does that mean? Um, don't. So it's a good question I'm asking, because. In the ancient times, perhaps a general should leave from the front, but there are many arguments that a general should not leave from the front. He might get killed. Many famous generals in history were killed in battle because they were in the front, and then they lost the battle. I don't know why, but Gustavus Adolphus comes to my mind, you know, the famous Swedish king who was killed, you know, in 1632 or something like that because he was in the front, you know, and, and, and his side lost the battle, I think. You know, there, there are arguments that, against that. In fact, now that I'm thinking about it, in Shmuel Bays, it says that when King David, who used to leave from the front, came close to getting hurt, the soldiers of King David, it's at the end of Shmuel Bays somewhere, the soldiers of King David said, you go to the rear. Right? You go to the rear. We don't want to take a chance of the Mashiach Hashem getting hurt. You know, where, where, hold on, let me find that question. Here it is. In Shmuel Bays and Perikhafalov, you know, he's talking about how David almost got killed in battle by one of the Philistine warriors. By Yazulah um, Avishai ben Sriya, Avishai saved his life. Oz Nishbu Anshi David Lalimor. His own soldiers swore. Nishbu Lalimor. Lo Tete Odi Tonamelchamo. Velo Techabes Ner Yisrael. You see that? You ain't going out to war and the, the light, the Ner Yisrael, which is you, David. Uh, should not be extinguished, which is another way of saying to the rear. Um, there's a famous, uh, I don't know why I remember this, one of the famous battles in 1864, Robert E. Lee, you know, had to plug up the Confederate lines, so he, you know, so he brought in this Texan unit that was happened to be there, and he said, let's go, Texans always moved them, and the Texans said, I guess, General Lee to the rear, then we'll charge, and they did, and they won. You know, you can't have the guy in the front because he might get killed. So what does it mean over here? That there shouldn't be armchair warriors. Listen, it's an interesting question. Um, now it is true Moshe led from the front, and it is true David for a while did to do so, and uh, you know Joshua and Judah Maccabee did that, and so forth. Itaka was killed in battle. So what's the idea from the front? I'll tell you what I think. And I saw this. You know, it, it, uh, this is me talking. Using an abarbanel, right? And, uh, and it's very nice abarbanel, in my opinion. And that is that, you know, the abarbanel, who's very good in these kind of military type things and political things, you know, very thoughtful. So he's saying, What does it mean? That Moshe was asking God for two things. One is, so the Barbanel Taka learns that it meant that that uh, that whoever the leader is, whoever succeeds Moshe, should be somebody who leads from the front. That you know that in the Makom of Sakana, right? She a kolkach gvurasa betakvo, but base she a tova mazel. But make sure God, you pick somebody who's my successor, 
it's good mazel, so it'll win. Um, and he takes care of the soldiers that they shouldn't die under his command. That's very interesting, right? To me, to me anyway. Um, the way I read this at Barbanel, it's possible to read it different, but I think that's what he means, is don't pick my successor, some general who is profligate with the lives of his soldiers. You have different generals in history and leaders, and they're different types. And some of them don't mind spending all the, the lives of their soldiers, and, and as long as you win in the end. Think, for example, of the Russian generals in World War II, like Marshal Zhukov. I mean, they did bust Hitler, that is true, and it was a bitter fight, but they lost millions of men. They didn't care. They said, we're going to send in another battalion, send in another division, and send in another division. Even if they get choked up, send in another until they hit the Germans so hard, one after another, that the Germans eventually lost. But they lost tens of millions of men, tens of millions, okay? The American army couldn't fight that way. In this country, couldn't lose a million men. But the Russians could do so. And I don't know, the Chinese, whoever, you know, they, they don't care. You understand? It's expendable. Uh, that's not what Moshe says. That's not what I want. I want, I show you, he should lead the army out, but should lead the army back intact. I mean, there's no such thing as no losses, but they should be as light as possible. That's a sign of, first of all, a, a, a skilled commander, and second of all, a, a, a good leader, a compassionate commander, who wants to spare as much as possible the lives of his own men. Uh, like, I, I'll say it again. History is full of all kinds of generals. I uh, happen to be interested in military history, among other things. And um, it's very interesting, you know, you, you, you look at the types, and some of them were very careful with how they spent the lives of their men, and others not. Others had the idea, the main thing is to win. When win, it's over, and whoever dies, dies, and heck with it, you know? No, that Isaiah gate us. Uh, that's Napoleon was like that. Whoever dies, dies. You know, we got you, 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 the, the cost of victory is never cheap, but I'm willing to pay it because it wasn't himself paying it. You know, it was it was his soldiers. And then on the other hand, you have you know uh, generals and commanders who were careful about that. And you know, they I you can't say they didn't lose anybody, but they tried as little as possible to, to have as as little you know uh, casualties as possible. The Israeli army is supposed to be like that. Right, because by us every person counts in Israel. Also, they can't have big losses. You know, the the public won't take it. Um, they try as best they can, and so far they've been lucky. I'm not minimizing the loss of a single Israeli soldier. Obviously, every one is a terrible tragedy. But when you're looking at wars, your aggregates, and you know how large are the casualties, how small are they, and most of anything like this. I want a general who will win. But I want them to win, but there's somebody left at the end. There's somebody in front of who can, he can yovo from. Shouldn't have what they call a Pyrrhic victory, like the king uh, Pyrrhus, who won, who, who, who won a battle but lost to all of his army. So therefore, you know, he's like, did he really win the battle? You know, uh, a Jewish leader has to think about um, the men. If you know anything about this, since today's the 4th of July and all that in American history, if you know, for example... <coughs> The history of um, the Civil War, there's a lot of generals. You can really judge them, like how many men did they lose, you know, and um, and the and the and the soldiers knew it. And it's not simple, you know. 
um, the two most beloved, as far as I know, the two most beloved generals in the Civil War were Robert E. Lee and George Thomas. One was in the north, one was in the south, one was in the north. Uh, Lee was, of course, in the south, and George uh, Henry Thomas was in the north. And they were incredibly popular and beloved by the men. And Robert E. Lee spent the lives of his men like water. It's, it's, it's just funny to me. You've heard of Pickett's Charge, which took place today in 4th of July. He just sent them up there and they all got wiped out. But even the guys, when they came back from the one being wiped out, they said, General Lee, we'll do it again. You know, you, you tell us what to do. He had this incredible charisma. But the other guy, General Thomas, his soldiers loved him because they knew he will do whatever it takes to spare their lives, except, of course, when it's necessary. When you have a battle, some people are going to get killed. But it's a difference between losing 5,000 and losing 4,000. You know, at least to the thousand people, <laughs> it's a difference. So, you know, Barbanel says that's what Moshe was, talk was talking about. Uh, at least that's how I read the Barbanel. And therefore, um, it's very interesting that Moshe, you know, uh, has this request, so to speak. Don't get me a, a Russian general to take over. When the Bnei Yisrael conquer uh, Canaan, I don't want it to be, yeah, we, we drove out the Canaanites, but we lost half our men or something like that. Um, so it's a fine line between leading men to victory and and not having too heavy casualties. To have zero casualties is unfortunately usually not possible. But to have too heavy casualties is a sign of a callous leader. And Moshe did not want the people, whoever comes after him, to be a callous leader. Uh, oh, the time's up. Uh, I went a little bit over. But you see this uh, Pasuk of El and, and and what Moshe is looking for in leadership. And his own disappointment is, uh, I think, a very, very um, uh, insightful story in today's Parsha. Anyway, with that, I wish you all a good day. Thank the uh, Radomskis. i uh, say again that the uh, Nisham of the grandmother uh, should have an aliyah. With that, I wish you a good day.